Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna and I'm glad you could join us today for another episode that helps you on your adventure with Jesus. We uh, are all about helping you engage in that relationship with Jesus Christ, growing with Him uh, in that, and then out of that would flow uh, the calling, the mission, the adventure uh, that he has for you, whether that's for your neighbor next door, someone around the world, whatever that is that he's called you to do, out of that relationship would flow what he's called you to do. And one of the things that I have found personally is, uh, for me, uh, if I'm going to uh, do what God has called me to do, it's one thing to be called, it's another thing to have it funded. <laughs> it's something I'm growing in, it's something I've uh, historically not been good at, but God's giving me favor and I'm growing in that process and because uh, I've come to realize that if I'm going to accomplish all that God has uh, for me as for this ministry I have to invite friends into the process uh, with me and if we're going to touch the world that's going to be part of the process and so I sat down with our guest today uh, over the years uh, Roger Lane has been an encouragement to me in this process and Roger is kind of an expert in the field of fundra- uh, fundraising or uh, God and spirit-driven initiatives, as he calls them, uh, he has helped over 180 funding initiatives that's raised nearly $400 million for ministry. Uh, as part of that process, recently he's come out with a book called Funded, A Leader's Guide to Raising Money God's Way. And I think you're going to like this conversation uh, where he uh, kind of shares his story in there. So even if you're not in, you know, like I'm not a funded, you know, I don't have anything to fund, that kind of thing. Just hearing his story of generosity, and let me just personally say he's a very generous person, I, knowing him myself. Uh, he shares that story of how he got to do this unique ministry, which I think will be an encouragement to you. Uh, but let me also just say, if you are a person who you're like, I don't have that funding process or project, well, why don't you share, share this episode with a pastor, uh, a ministry leader friend, a board member at your church, whatever that is, uh, so that they can, because they at some point are going to be going through this process and this will be a, a great resource to them. But one way or the other, I think you're going to enjoy uh, listening to Roger's story and be blessed in the process. So without further ado, my conversation with Roger Lane. All right, Roger, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kevin. It's great to be with you. And uh, I've heard so much about your ministry and Christ Connection. You've, you've been uh, at this for quite a while. You're, you're quite a veteran around town here. <laughs> Well, and I have to say you have been a source of support uh, for many, many years now, and I'm, I am grateful for that. Uh, all the, uh, all we were talking about our, our conversations over breakfast and lunch for <laughs> over the times. It's it's been good, to, uh, and all yeah, you're you're a generous person, and we're grateful for that. Uh, I I'm excited to talk to you today, uh, and we'll. Uh, I don't know how much we'll dive into the specifics of the book, but I mean, you've, you've finally come out with Funded, a leader's guide to raising money God's way. You've been doing this funding and generosity thing for 
since 1984. Am I correct? <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, it's uh, it seems like a marathon, but uh, it's been been an interesting journey. These are this is one of those deals that you don't necessarily ministries that you don't necessarily plan for or expect, but it's something that God puts in front of you, and then it gets embedded in your heart, and the next thing you know, you're you're helping people. Uh, my dad used to say, "Just do the jobs nobody else wants to do, and you'll have a you'll have a good life." And so, that's kind of what I'm doing. I, I refer to myself similar to that of an undertaker. It's a job somebody's got to do it. And uh, so, I just uh, I love helping people find their way. And so, uh, uh, God's ministries need funding, and so that's kind of what's important to me. Hey, so so how did you? Was North Central the first? place for you with the funding or how do you get into this whole world of funding well actually it started boy goodness a little ways back i was raised in western nebraska on a farm and uh went into the military following that i had cancer lost my right kidney and while i was farming i had to slow down a bit so i had to get a job and i got a job with the farm bureau insurance company selling insurance and uh, that taught me the people business and it, it taught me how to ask and how to encourage people to participate. And I don't call it ask anymore, I call it invite people to join you in, in ministry. So that went, uh, we pastored then in Des Moines, Iowa, we then pastored in Omaha, and then in 1984, we joined North Central University and I was vice president of development there. So that's kind of a quick flyover that got me to into this. And so uh, when I went to North Central, one of my, my main responsibilities was to get the, the university out of debt and to help them move forward. So. That was, uh, I didn't have any training, and so they sent me to schools, and I learned a lot about that. And so here we are, you know, like 30 years later, and uh, <laughs> we've seen the Lord do some pretty amazing things. It's not me. It's God that put it all together, so I'm grateful to Him for helping me get where I am. Well, for those who are regulars of the show, uh, North Central is becoming a recurring theme. We've had uh, President Hagen on the show before, and uh, we actually did an interview with Terrence Talley in the building. So uh, you'll all be familiar with North Central by by now. Um, I, since you've been doing this for such a long time, I'm sure you have hundreds You're of You're making it sound, Kevin, like I'm really old. No, I mean, no. You've been saying a long time, a long time, forever. I, mean, I feel like I'm as old as dirt today. Day. I mean, no, no, no. You're, yeah, you're just getting started, right? You're just this just is just warming up. Yeah, <laughs> right, but right, but you've been doing it well, I guess. Uh, if, if it's a short period of time, because uh, what four hundred million dollars raised, one hundred and eighty initiatives. Uh, just to inspire the audience as they're listening, or maybe they're thinking of their own funding. Uh, can you kind of give a face story of some funding thing that comes to mind that might be an encouragement to people? Well, normally what happens uh, when a, a leader needs to raise resources, that's when we get a phone call and they'll just say, hey, I'm, I'm scared to death. I've never done this before. And man, I don't want it to be a flop. I don't want my people to start running out of the church in fear. <laughs> uh, I, I want to be able to hold on to my audience and I, I really want to do this well. I understand you have experience with this. And so I get that phone call and there's a little bit many times there's a, there can be a panic on one end, there can be a sense of urgency on the other, like, wow, it's, uh, it's August and I would really like to raise these funds in September. And so <laughs> we, uh, the, the panic is, what can we do real fast, real quick? And well, there's no quick answers to this. And so that would be the way that a lot of, I get involved with a lot of people. Some, some organizations, they'll have me back two or three times to help them. And so 
I provide uh, that advice that come alongside of leaders, and that's that's what I love doing is helping get people from point A to point B. I love helping people. So I've got stories of of, uh, of, of leaders where, man, they didn't even know what, what, what they were doing, and we went in and helped them to clarify their plan, to be able to talk to their people, know how to talk to their people, and to work through that. And so going through all of that, it, it's been a it's been a delight. And I've seen, you know, like you said, millions of dollars have been raised for the kingdom uh, because we had a plan, because we had experience, because we were spirit driven and we really believe that the power of God can speak to the hearts of his people. And one of the things I like to talk about, Kevin, is the fact that uh, transactional fundraising is kind of old school where we need $500. How much are you going to do where you kind of get in people's face and what we do is transformational fundraising where everything is bathed in prayer, where we invite the Holy Spirit to, from the beginning, to clarify the project, to help us determine what it is. We pray about leaders that can help us, uh, that can surround the project, that can surround the leader, and that can serve as a kind of an advisory group to that leader. We then pray about leaders in the church that can help us to be a part of a leadership team and they can give this initiative to the congregation. Then we encourage our congregation to pray, to listen, to obey, and watch God do a miracle in their giving. And so this is kind of the progression, but without prayer, we're kind of limping along on this thing because <laughs> none of us are good enough to raise those kinds of resources. It's all spirit-driven. And so I've seen I've seen small churches. Uh, I just finished a small church in Farmington, Minnesota, where uh, we thought, they could raise, they had about 67 giving units, family giving units in their church. We thought we might be able to raise 300, 350,000. Maybe their annual budget's about 250,000, and they raised $550,000. So a generous spirit of generosity came over the church, and that all happened because of prayer. I, I'm convinced of that. One of the other stories I love to tell, Kevin, is the fact that on an individual basis, and that is where I was doing an initiative, and one of the team members on a leadership team that I was coaching, she was a single mom, she had two jobs, three kids, her husband had walked out on her, and she came up and she said, Roger, she said, you keep telling me to pray and listen and obey, and I'm doing that, but I'm not getting, God's not giving me anything or a number, and because of that, I'm kind of struggling, I don't, kind of, I'm not getting it, and I said, you go back and you pray, pray some more, and so she went back and she prayed some more and she came back again and she said, I'm still not getting anything. What do I do? And I said, you go back and pray. God promises that he'll show us where we need to go with our giving. He's not going to he doesn't want you to feel pressure. He wants to help you. He wants he knows your heart and your desire to give. So let's just like, I'll agree with you in prayer that God's going to reveal what he wants you to do. And that weekend, wouldn't you know it? She the following weekend, she came back and she said it happened. I said, what happened? She said, I found my gift, and God is and God has helped me. I said, "Well, tell me about it." She said, "Well, I was on a Saturday morning. I was cleaning my house, and she said I went into, uh, I opened one of the closets to vacuum, and I looked on the wall, and it was like the Lord said, there it is.'" And she said, "I looked there, and there was an old coin collection that we had had for years that we had never used," and she said. I just began to weep and to cry. In fact, she said, I went to my knees. I was so moved that God would give me something to give because this was a big deal to me. I love our church. I love this project because of what it, how it impacts my own children. And so she said, uh, I took that and I went down and I sold it. And she said, I'm here today with my commitment. And she handed the pastor 
$57.37. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room when we saw the faithfulness of God and how he moved on the hearts of the people. So many people sitting there thinking, wow, we've we've really sacrificed. Nobody even come close to understanding what sacrifice was. And after that story, everybody had a new understanding of what it looked like. Wow, that's a, amazing how the one person, well, that's what Jesus, uh, the widow's, widow's might, I guess, uh, makes, yep. it, makes all it. Uh, and uh, as you were sharing that, I was thinking, because uh, your book is, uh, I mean, I'll just say this up front, and uh, any pastor or leader uh, who's thinking about a funding initiative should get your book. I'll just say that, and we'll put that on the table. Uh, it's just a map that you've laid out there for people. Uh, but... Uh, was uh, obviously this is a try. This has grown over your expertise. Uh, did you? Uh, this, you know, really maybe left field. But it is, uh, did you when you started out? Were you uh, kind of just feeling your way through it, or did you have another map that you were kind of working off of? I did. I did. I had an experienced coach uh, by the name of Larry Russell. Uh, Larry was a, uh, a colleague of mine, and he had worked for a, a fundraising company that did this for churches. And so uh, the Assemblies of God asked Larry and I to start a company to help AG churches, as that's how we got started. And so I, uh, I shadowed Larry for one initiative. Actually, it was my home church at Cedar Valley Church. And so uh, that's where I really learned to, to understand what this was really all about. And so but I was really off and running after I saw the template and the roadmap and the, the spiritual dynamic of what we were doing is, is really what I, I really bring to the table because, boy, without prayer, we're nothing. And uh, so it was that that brought – that's where I learned this. And then also my experience from North Central, they sent me to schools to be able to – I did a campaign for, our, for the, the college or university at that time. And so uh, we hired consultants to be able to help us to do that. So – I went to school on other people. I'll tell you a little story that that uh, reminds me of a story, Kevin. Uh, my father had an eighth grade education, and uh, through the years, he he had to stay home and work uh, during the the war, and so because of that, he didn't he had to finish at eight, eighth grade. That's all he had. He started his working career, and he was a hard worker, and uh, he he just he just was always you know doing well wherever he went. He just worked hard. He let his hard work. But he was always a lifelong learner, and he would ask people questions, and he would ask others to help him with questions that he had about doing a job or doing a job well or doing it better. And uh, he finally got connected with a, a company called uh, Simplot Soil Builders, and he went all the way through that company and became the general manager and the CEO of that company wow. with an eighth-grade education. And so I asked him one time, I said, Dad, how did you do that? I said, with an eighth-grade education, here you are, you're running five – fertilizer companies, you've got about 150 employees. How did you do that? He said, well, you know, he said, long ago, he said, I learned that I needed to go to school on others because I didn't get to go to school. So he said, I went to school on the experiences of others by asking a lot of questions. And those people, when you're kind to people, when you help people get what they need, it seems like you they're willing to give you what you need. So he said, I went to school on other people. So I've been raised around that all my life, watching my father do that. He uh, never knew a stranger, and he was always opening up conversations. And he was also, what are you up to this week? And I mean, he was always engaging people 
but I know in the back of my mind, this conversation is going somewhere because my dad wants to learn something. And you just had to be around dad and watch him do that. So I think that when we have people that have can offer us advice, everybody needs to have a coach or somebody to give us advice. For many of us, it's been our parents, our teachers, our coaches, whoever is in our lives, our pastors. But uh, even sometimes pastors and leaders need to have a coach or somebody that they can talk through their issues with. So that's really what this is all about. Well, I, I love that phrase, go to school on others. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's profound. Uh, and uh, I was speaking of uh, your father, uh, I was thinking, because I didn't know your part about being a farmer uh, back in the day. Uh, uh, how, how was being a farmer for you? Was that, uh, what was that like? And did you take any lessons from that uh, to your world today? Well, I love the farm. In fact, I get chills talking about the farm and the wow. impact it had on my life because it was such a place of discovery. Uh, animal life, putting crops in the ground. I mean, there's probably no vocation that requires more faith than putting a seed in the soil, watching it come up, and seeing a harvest come at the end of the growing season. But I remember that being one of the most important things. And probably the, the, one of the, the things as far as this is where I really learned about generosity was because on the farm, everybody helps each other. The neighbors help each other. We trade work. Uh, we would, you know, if you're ever driving by with a pickup, you always stopped in somebody's yard and had a little chat, and you said hello. And, and there was always a discovery process going on. If you needed something, we were all there for each other. And so it was through that generosity that I, I discovered that uh, we had what I called a code and that was when somebody was hurting, we were there to help them. When somebody had a need, we were there for them. When there was somebody that moved new into the neighborhood, we were the first ones over there to bring food and whatever else. When they had, uh, when they were ill or whatever else, we were the first ones to take meals over. So I learned generosity from my parents, but I found that the culture, the, uh, the, the rural culture was very good at that. You know, they're spread out a little more and they have fewer neighbors, so they really, really made sure that they were very good friends with a lot of people. And we worked together, we branded together, uh, branded cattle, livestock, we harvested together. So uh, generosity and generosity to our neighbors, I learned generosity by watching the rural community being generous with one another. And it's a pretty amazing journey to watch. Unselfish, very caring, looking out for one another, I mean, they would just do whatever they could to help you be able to do life and do your your work and your farming, whatever it was. And then we had country schools. And so we were all loyal to the country schools and to the teachers. I mean, those teachers, they were generous with the teachers. I mean, they supported the teachers. And as a kid, I remember going there and if my dad said, if you ever get in trouble at school, you're in more trouble when you get home. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of been a thing that slips away a little bit, but Boy, they were they were uh, the parents and the teachers were on the same page, and that was kind of kind of getting off the subject, Kevin. But I mean, generosity that the farm taught me a lot about that. I also learned the importance of uh, my grandfather when I started my own farming operation. I said, Grandpa, what do I need to do to be a good farmer? And he said, Roger Allen. He called. They called me Roger Allen. He said, Farming consists of doing the work when the work needs to be done. You don't go out and plow at harvest time, you plow after you harvest, you know? And so there's a sequence that goes along with that. And so 
doing the work when the work needs to be done. I've used that in my funding initiatives because there is a there is a, a timeline that we work with and we do the work when the work needs to be done, not before it needs to be done, but there's a sequence that helps you get from point A to point B. And so that's what I love about this process. I learned that stuff on the farm. Hey, now you're talking about generosity. This just makes me think, because uh, it, it was kind of a community effort on things and they would, would care for each other. Hey, was that just a cultural thing or was there something uh because i'm guessing farmers can be as i mean could have the selfish desires as much as anyone else so was it just a cultural expectation that that's what you do something that kind of built in or how did that come about well that was the culture for one thing but the other thing was that it had a there was a religious culture that was there as well everybody went to church everybody had a church and very few didn't. And so when we would find a neighbor that didn't go to church, we would be all the more encouraging to that person. We befriended those people to help them find their way. So it was kind of live evangelism living all the time. <laughs> Part of what you did. Uh, <clears throat> um, you you kind of just in passing made reference to uh, having kidney cancer and uh, and the kind of the process there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how that impacted you and any lessons that you took from that? Yeah, I was raised uh, in a church with a godly family my whole life. And uh, everything, I, I was very blessed that way. And uh, when we, uh, I graduated from high school, uh, went to college, and uh, then I married my wife and we started a farming operation. We thought that's what we wanted to do. And the first year of my farming, uh, I had bought a carload of cattle to uh, to feed out for the winter time, and I went out to feed my cattle, and I got out there, and I started having a backache, and it got worse, and it worsened, and it worsened, and so uh, they took me to the hospital, and uh, I thought I was having a kidney stone because my father had had that, and so that's kind of the natural progression. You think, well, that's what I've got, and so everybody kind of laughed it off, but the pain was just nauseating. It was just tremendous. So a day later, after that, they did exploratory surgery and discovered my kidney had enlarged the size of a, of a small grapefruit. Wow. And so, uh, and then they, so they took it out, and, uh, and then they examined it and tested it, and it was cancerous. And so they said, you've got kidney cancer. And so it was through that experience that I then did follow-up treatment over in Denver, Colorado, at Presbyterian Medical Hospital. And so this was a real test of my faith. I mean, I had been going to church. I'd been a giver. I, and all of those things were good. I probably wasn't where I needed to be with the Lord at that particular time. I could have been closer. I was kind of skipping church a little bit. And for us, I knew better because I thought church was a, you know, a, a cure-all for everything. And uh, so anyway, I'm over here in uh, Denver, and I hear the words cancer. And when you hear the words cancer, you begin to imagine death. You begin, you imagine the end. I was 23 years old when that happened. And so it was a real test of my faith because I was afraid. I had fear. I was afraid. I thought, uh, I even visualized my own funeral with my body in the casket. I mean, it wow. got serious. I mean, I got pretty anxious about it. And it was through that process that a chaplain came by my room and shared with me about grace in a way that I'd never heard it before. And it was through that process that uh, I, I discovered a new faith. My faith went deeper. I had, I had a peace. 
and I recommitted my life to Christ. And it was through that process that I, uh, what I call, I developed a, an attitude of gratitude, gratitude because I realized I was on the short end of the stick on time. And uh, so it was through that process that that really caused me. You reevaluate your life, Kevin. You you say what's important, what's not important. And I, the way I had been treated in the hospitals was so great and so wonderful. I said. I want to help others the way I've been helped. And so starting to serve, and this was a part of the community thing again, but I wanted to be, I wanted to help people move along with their lives and, and to come alongside of them and to encourage them as an encourager. So I would say that the cancer situation really stopped me in my tracks long enough to realize who I was, who I wasn't, even helped me kind of decide who I wanted to become. And it was through that process that, uh, I felt called to be a pastor, uh, probably about six months later, and uh, we left the farm. And it was funny the uh, the weekend that we felt called into ministry, we got hailed out on the farm, and so we lost everything. So it was God helping us off the farm, you know. So uh, that was kind of the story that went along with that. But it was a new beginning for us. I got uh, my ministerial credentials with the Assemblies of God. I was on staff at, at a local church there where I was uh, kind of, I was the evangelism pastor, actually, and the education pastor, uh, non-salaried. And so I had to have a job. So this is where the insurance company came in. I had to have a job because we got hailed out. And so it was through that job that uh, I became the top agent in the state of Nebraska and out of 130 agents. And so they wanted to promote me to Des Moines, Iowa, which was the home office for that insurance company, to be in a, uh, put me on a junior executive track. And being a farmer, they, they liked that. So we went to check it out. And about the same time I had finished up getting my credentials, we went to check out churches in Des Moines when we looked at that job. And lo and behold, they had an opening and they said, we'd like to offer you a position to come to our church as executive pastor. Wow. So we left the farm. We left family. All of our family was back in western Nebraska. We picked up. We moved our two daughters to Des Moines. We went on staff at the church there, and so uh, the rest is history. We got involved very heavily with evangelism explosion there, and so that's a little bit of our of our quick history. But cancer, in essence, was the catalyst that kind of kicked me into gear and causing me to evaluate who I was, why I was here, and what I wanted to do with my life. And so did you, uh, did you take the, so you took the promotion, and she had two jobs at the, when you went to Iowa? Or you no, just, oh, no. Okay. I left the insurance. I left everything and became a pastor full okay. time. Okay. So like, that was it. I mean, that was it, we were all in. All right. Hey, and which leads to a uh, in the book you talk about your one of your favorite verses: "The Lord delights in the steps of the godly. Uh, he delights uh, in every de- in every detail of their lives." Uh, now that's the I, I use the New Living Translation. I don't know what. But uh, is why is that verse meant so much to you? Well, I think so many times we we get out of alignment with God, and we are we're starting to try to kind of pull this thing off on our own. And uh, the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, and I say not the leaps, <laughs> because we can get excited and we want to start jumping and running ahead of God, and so that's why it's always one of those things when. I talk about getting advice from others or having others coach me. God's word right here coaches us to walk before you run and to guard your steps and to know where you're going. And so this one really 
helps helps me dramatically. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is the other one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Those are probably lifelong verses for me that have helped me to get from point A to point B. Hey, since you said, said that about running versus, which is really wise counsel, uh, running or walking before you run, uh, have you seen that play out in funding initiatives where people try and, uh, I mean, where it's maybe not the success story <laughs> where they, they, they tried to run and it just didn't work so well? Yeah, there's there's times when we're called in and, and uh, the leader really wasn't ready and he, he went ahead and started running out ahead of himself and he didn't have clarity on his project he he was trying to raise yeah see you can't raise money for a moving target you have to know <laughs> what it is you have to clarify it and so once in a while that's one of the best values you have by having a coach is the fact that he can help you to keep your feet on the ground and to really clarify the project because if that project's not clear people are not going to step over the line to join you in funding it and so i think that's an important part of what we're talking about which uh You've kind of touched on this before, but I think it's a heart of who you are from what I've known of you. The difference between spirit-driven funding initiatives and just fundraising. Uh, as a, as a, can, you, can you talk about the difference for you, what that means? Yeah, I, I, I like to call it, number one, uh, regular fundraising is we, we start buttonholing people for money. We, we, we tell them what we need and we start going after it. And some people, somebody's got to be bold enough to ask somebody to give. And that's a hard position for a pastor to find himself to be in because, uh, first of all, we're, we're afraid of the connotations that it means that all you want is my money. And many times, and we, we also watch on television where, you know, there have been individuals that have, that have really, they've been smooth and slick and they have encouraged people to give beyond their abilities to give. And there's people giving that shouldn't be giving because they, they feel guilted or they feel, feel manipulated. And so because of that, many times leaders are reluctant to ask or even talk about money because they don't want to be associated with that group or they don't want to be thought of somebody who's slick or that's manipulating the people to give. So we really teach on spirit-driven uh, fundraising is the fact that we really believe it, not in transactional fundraising like that. We believe in transformational fundraising. And what we do is we create a prayer path for people to follow. And I call it the plow principle. And uh, being a farmer, again, sorry, <laughs> but plow, P-L-O-W is the acrostic. P stands for prayer. L stands for listen, O stands for obey, and W stands for watch God do a miracle in your living and in your giving. And so one of the key components of what we do is we really want people to pray. And I'll talk to a pastor. I said, can you get your people to pray? Oh, yes. I said, can you get them to pray about anything? Oh, yeah. So what we do is we really, the pastor calls, he, he goes through a process of explaining and clarifying the project, not asking for anything until people are really clear and have their questions answered about what we're raising resources for. Then the pastor calls the church to prayer, and he and his spouse pray about a leadership gift and what they're going to do. Leaders never ask others to do what we ourselves are not willing to do. So leaders need to lead the way. So it would be the pastor gives first, and then the, the board would give next, and then maybe a leadership team would give next, 
and then we invite the entire congregation to give. But everything happens because we've prayed, we've listened, we've obeyed, and we've watched God get involved. And that's the miracle of it. And we find that God can speak to hearts where no man can speak. And if people will really pray, remember me talking about the, the single mom and how she prayed. She was praying fervently, and God answered her prayer, and God provided. And so all through scriptures, we find that people prayed, and there were results. Nehemiah, you can go on and on. And I, I put those into the book, stories, faith stories of how people prayed, how God supplied, and how God directed and gave them the resources needed for his projects. And these are his projects. They're not ours. They're his. The church belongs to him. The ministries we have belong to him. And so that's that's kind of what we do there. And, uh, kind of in that plow project process, uh, if someone was not, uh, I mean, your specialty uh, and very well specialty is a church taking a church through the process of funding. It, say a person uh, is listening to this and is uh, God's birthing a ministry in their heart that isn't necessarily, maybe it's a mission field, maybe it's a, uh, any advice for that person on going through a process like this? Actually, the principles are the very, are the same. You use the same principles. I mean, you have to probably redesign and, and, and set this up the uh, the church has a captive audience that they they, they speak to every week and so it's it, the education system is a little easier for them to communicate it but the principles are the same so you have to create you have to take a donor base or a friend base that you have with your ministry uh let's say like christ connection you have a friend base of people that believe in you and there are some that support you as well and so that friend base so you try to find a way to articulate that vision to those people. So you have to get a little more creative because you don't have that captive audience. And so that's why I really strongly recommend that uh, when I was at North Central University, we had a big, big and a great audience, but we had to go out to where they were in a 10-state area, and we had to invite them to participate. So it's huge. So I think it's the same principles, and I think that uh, – you find the people who love you most, and you talk to them first. And uh, I, I suggest that you take a list of, uh, of 100 to 200 individuals that you might know. And I think you and I have talked about this at one time, where you create a list of about 100 individuals or more of friends or people who know you or prayer partners or people that believe in your ministry or people that you've served alongside. Uh, I know that you do ministry and you fill in for pastors and whatever. And You've made friends, and so what this is, is first of all, we ask our friends, will you pray for our initiative that we're on? Second of all, would you prayerfully consider a gift? And here's what it is, and can I send you materials that kind of explain what we're doing? Uh, if you can go see them face-to-face, -face, that's the best way to do this, and, and I coach a lot of ministry leaders like yourself, Kevin, on how to make that ask or that visit. And so the big thing here is the fact that we're not soliciting I really don't like the term asking. I like the term inviting. I had an executive that I was working with before uh, on one of my projects, and uh, he said, I can't raise money. I said, well, that's okay. You, you, I, if I showed you how, would you be willing to learn? He said, absolutely. And I said, have you ever had a barbecue? He said, I have. I said, you invite people to come over? He said, yes, I did. I said, did they come? He said, yes, they came. I said, why did they come? He said, well, we really had a real nice meal lined up for everybody. I'm sure they came because of the meal. I said, 
No, back up a step. Why did they come? He said, because I asked them. I invited them. And so when you have a project like yours, Kevin, or others, what we do is we invite them to join the family, to join the support family, to help us to fund the initiatives that help us to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the difference. So whether it's church or parachurch, the principles, I find, are the same. That's very good. Uh... And yes, you have, you've walked me through this before. I, 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 I often joke I'm not your best student, but I, I am faithful. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of big picture. Zooming back for a second, I, I, since you've been doing this, have you seen any trends of how things have been changing in the world of church as far as giving goes, especially for funding initiatives like this? Is it, is it? pretty much the same or is, is there shifts that you see taking place? One of the shifts I see taking place is the church is realizing that the average family is only coming to service maybe once or twice a month. And so uh, we talk about that captive audience. And so how do I get this message to the people who are only here part time? So you have to work a little harder to get your message and to invite people to participate. And so I think that would be one thing that's happened. Another thing was in 08, 09, when the economy took a dive, there was a lot of uh, speculation and I think uh, fear possibly on the parts of people to where they kind of held back and they kind of hoarded their money and they kind of held on to it thinking that, you know, the world is coming to an end and I don't want to be short on funds. So we saw before that happened, we would see on an average, uh, the church would see anywhere from one and a half to two times the annual budget of the church would come in. And since that has happened, we have seen that go down now to where that, is, that number is about one to one and a half times the annual budget will come in in a funding initiative. So we've seen a reduction in that just because of, of the fear component, the fear factor that has gone along with a lot of people. So I think that's part of one of the trends that I've seen happening. Another one is the fact that uh, there's just uh, the church has been not doing uh, a very good job of talking about stewardship and generosity. And so, uh, and I don't know that that's anything necessarily new, but I do know when churches and leaders do teach and talk about generosity, what it means and what it's about, uh, we find that those resources, those, those initiatives are much better because the people aren't frightened about uh, hearing that we're gonna, we got a giving project and uh, this is what we're going to do. We want to do this together. We're going to be inviting everybody to pray. And so because it's been talked about before, that fear factor is kind of removed or set to the side. And so that's my prayer for every church leader is that they would talk about stewardship and generosity and God's faithfulness and let people tell, have people come up in your service to tell stories of how you discovered stewardship, my life before stewardship, how I found it and what it's been like since then. So these are all stories that really help people to relax. Then we have stories of generosity, where we heard about people that went through the drive-through and they paid for the meal for the guy behind them. Those are all stories that warm the heart. And so uh, there's typically three components that I we, we put into a giving decision for people. We ask you to use your head to determine what you can afford. That's transactional, but it's important. You gotta gotta use your head too. You can't just go by your heart all the time. It needs to be a combination of them all. Then we ask you to look in your hand. What do you have in the form of an asset that has value 
that you might be able to contribute and maybe buy or sell that you can put into your commitment. So that's the second component of your commitment. And the third one is to use your heart. And that's God's part. What does God want to do through you beyond what you think you can afford or what you have in your hand to give? So that's kind of the, the three-piece, three-pronged approach that we take about using your head, your hands, and your heart. And so uh, that really, that is the, is the prayer path that really helps when we pray about that heart situation. And we also find as we pray, God can reveal something we have in our hand that we can give or even in our, in our cash flow that we can give. So those are the components we use there. Hey. Well, and as, our, as we're starting to, uh, to wind down here, let me, uh, going directly to the book, uh, first of all, maybe what, uh, what your heart was in, in why, you, why you wrote it, and, and then uh, who is this really targeted for? Who, who should pick it up? Uh, oh, uh, what's, what's the heart of the book there? Yeah, the idea is to, is to come alongside of leaders, uh, pastors, board members, missionaries, uh, parachurch leaders of other ministries like yours, Kevin, uh, to come alongside of them and to give them a, a roadmap that can help them with mile markers that can help them get from point A to point B. I put in here, uh, first of all, the clarification of the project is on the front end. That's, that's an important part of it. Discovering God's strategy. And then we talk about planning to build a funding initiative. We put that in there as well. It's like a, a, a actually a fundraising manual that has the various teams that can be organized and, and the functions and the job descriptions for those teams. That's in there as well. And then we talk about going public where we invite the congregation to prayerfully consider and to move toward that giving decision. So that is, uh, that's in the book. And so I tried to take my years of experience and, in, in, uh, and components of this, put it in a book that, uh, that could help people get to where they want to go. If you have, uh, done an initiative before. There are a lot of stories and illustrations in here that can help you to be able to do this yourself or do it with a little bit of help. You know, they say if you want to learn how to fly an airplane, you know, why, you know, you get uh, an instructor and the instructor will say, all right, we get in the plane. He said, all right, I'm going to fly and you watch. And then he says, all right, I'm going to fly and you help. And then he says, I'm going to fly, you fly and I'll help. And then he says, you fly and I'll watch. And so that's a similar thing that we have happened with this. So the level of the leader, the confidence of the leader, I mean, you could take all of this information in here and you could conduct a funding initiative with very, very little advice or a lot or wherever you are. But I tried to find a way to catch everybody to help them to have a tool. Uh, this is something I want to leave as a legacy. I want to give back to the church to help them to move forward for kingdom principles. Well, and, and having read uh, read the book from cover to cover, uh, it definitely is is that roadmap for uh, leaders. On, uh, I mean, you can just start at the beginning and uh, work your way through it, and and you're going to be. Uh, uh, so thank you for uh, producing that for the body of Christ. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a, a resource for. Uh, hopefully years and years to come uh, to help people with that. Uh, any final ask of the audience uh, other than obviously I will ask them to go pick up the book, but any other final ask that you have of the, uh, of the audience before we start wrapping up? Yeah, I just I just want to hit on that prayer thing again. The prayer is so such an important component of what you do. Make sure that you don't just start off cold with this. Uh, I talk to pastors and leaders to go into a silent phase of a week to 10 days where 
you just go silent and you don't talk to anybody about this. You just go and pray and you listen and let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you through this process. I think that, you know, people, if if they want to learn more about what I'm doing, I don't know. Do you want me to talk about that? Kevin, absolutely. Too? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have a, a web page. It's called rogerlanecoaching.com that they can go to and pick it up. The book can be picked up actually at on Amazon. Name of the book is called Funded, A Leader's Guide to Raising Funds God's Way by Roger Lane. And so you can pick it up there. And so uh, I would just encourage them if they get a copy. I, I, I like to see them get a copy for themselves. And then the second thing is to get a copy for your board members because let this be a reading device that you take your, co- your board members and your leaders through so you're all on the same page. And that really helps uh, maximize your success in, in Ryan trying to conduct a funding initiative. Uh, well, that's uh, great stuff. And uh, for the listener, if you didn't catch any of that, you can come on over the show notes and we'll have all of that. Uh, uh, Roger's website, where you can find the book and all that. Uh, click right. Uh, Roger, thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate you uh, stopping in and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. I appreciate it, Kevin. Have a blessed day. Yeah, you too. Well, there you have it. I hope that was an encouragement to you and definitely a resource to you as you go on your adventure with Jesus. As I said at the beginning, if you kind of feel like this does not apply to you, is there a pastor friend that you have or a parachurch organization that you're a part of, an NGO that you're excited about that you could pass this along to them because they need to kind of learn this process as so we all need to learn that process in the, uh, in the church, in the parachurch world. And so uh, why don't you pass that on? I'm just saying, I was thinking of you today. It's that small things that make a difference in, in pastors and leaders' lives. And so you're uh, sending this along could be an encouragement to them. Uh, as Roger mentioned, uh, let me just say this. Uh, if God lays on your heart as you going through that plow process uh, to be a part of this ministry, I'd love to have you a part. You can go over to enjoying prayer.org and uh, click on uh, donate and be a part of this process. We've already touched uh, 69 countries, every state uh, in the United States, and we'd love to uh, continue to expand that, and you could be a part of that process. So uh, come on over. Uh, and while you're there, just uh, you know, enjoyingprayer.org and click on podcast. You can find the show notes uh, for uh, the resources mentioned, uh, Roger's website, things like that. Uh, head on over there. And uh, while you're there, check out the other resources we have to help you on your adventure with Jesus, because that's what it is all about. Uh, before we go, uh, why don't I pray for you? Lord, I pray for every listener of this. I pray that your spirit would meet with them today. Lord, a- as Roger said, uh, that prayer process uh, that you would speak, we pray and listen and then we obey. I pray that we would go through that process, and then that we would watch what you would do. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would see your hand at work today. Every listener of this would see your hand at work in our lives. And so uh, we pray, we listen, we obey, God, and I pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I, I pray God's blessing on you today as you go. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and until next time, thank Thanks for listening.